This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay, and I'm joined with our CEO, Ramon. And today we have a very special guest with us, Jazz Fenton, who is the CEO and co-founder of Yellow Beauty. And Yellow Beauty is a skincare company that creates products with powerful natural ingredients like turmeric, inspired by the principles of Ayurveda. Jazz, welcome to the podcast. We are super excited to have you on here to kind of talk about curating meaningful hero products and your rebranding as well. So before we jump into all the fun questions we have lined up over here and all the fun things we're going to dive into, if you want to give a quick intro to the audience and tell them a little bit more about yourself and Yellow Beauty in your own words. Yeah, for sure. So hi, I'm Jazz. I am CEO and co-founder of Yellow Beauty. And like you mentioned, we're a natural skincare company rooted in turmeric. And our goal is to provide plant-based, cruelty-free, sustainable skincare solutions or whatever your skincare journey may be. So I have a background in product design and my husband, Jamil, actually co-founded the brand with me. So Awesome. Very cool. So I know Ramon was also taking a look at your website. I looked at your website as well. You guys only have a few SKUs available. So I am really curious to kind of learn, you know, as we're talking about curating a product line, what is your process like in curating new products? Is there something, are you looking to add more products to your line? Is there something intentional about the fact that you guys only carry four products? Really interested to learn more there. Yeah. So, I mean, the main reason why we have so few products, especially being in business for, it's almost been five years now. The main reason, honestly, has been capital. So, one of the main things that we really wanted to make sure of is that when we release a new product that we're sure that it's going to hit with our customers and we're not just going to spend like a ton of money up front adding new products that we aren't sure of yet. So we really were intentional with what products that we launched throughout the course of the business. This year, actually, we have new partners and new investors. So that's kind of changed the game a little bit in product development and diving into a few more products that we're excited to release. So this year we released a new cleanser, which we were very excited about. And we also have a few new products in the pipeline. But again, we're always very careful. We don't want to just oversaturate with products just because we can. We really want to be intentional about adding to our, our brand. I bet that the obstacle is a way. So give it to the limited restraints and capital and being able to only work with four SKUs. I bet you that had an advantage in itself in terms that you were able to go really deep in those products specifically, whereas say capital hadn't been a restriction, you launch a ton of SKUs but can't go deep enough in a specific product line and understands, you know, what really sticks with customers. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like another piece of the puzzle is like myself and Jamil, we don't come from a skincare background. I come from a design background. He comes from a business background. So starting Yellow Beauty was at first, it was kind of the side project that we were experimenting with. And we dove into a world that we didn't really know too much about. So we needed to make sure that the products that we first launched, that we could make them ourselves and that we were confident in the results without spending too much, you know, seeking out a manufacturer and all those other things. 
with something that honestly we were just testing when we first started out. Very cool. So you mentioned that you got some investors now and you're working on creating new products. I'm curious how your background in the company has kind of shaped your product development moving forward. So like you mentioned, like there's only four SKUs on the website right now. Is that affecting the way that you are creating new products moving forward in terms of, you know, focusing on curating more meaningful products rather than just taking the money and trying to build a bunch of more new product SKUs. And I'm also curious as a part of that is focusing on new product creation, something that's like top of mind for Yellow Beauty, or is it something that because you've gone through the process and have been able to see success with just a few SKUs that you might potentially put product creation off to the side for a little bit as well at times? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely our focus is to broaden our catalog, but we still want to be intentional. So like I was mentioning before, like we only have obviously the four SKUs, but we still have a few more products that we want to launch to kind of round out that line. So we have, you know, a moisturizer in development, we have a toner, we have a couple of spot treatments that we're kind of trying to make into multi-purpose products. That's another thing we really want to do whenever we launch a product is think of multiple ways that you can use it. What we don't like to do is, you know, launch many different versions of the same product just because we can. So for example, early on, we were thinking when we just had our face scrub, we're like, oh, should we launch another face scrub that has a different scent to it or a little bit of a different ingredient? And we decided against that because we just felt it just adds more saturation that's not really needed in the space. And another point too, is that skincare really goes so much more beyond just like products that you put topically on your skin. So we really want to focus going forward on different product verticals like ingestibles. Obviously, what you eat plays a really big factor in your skin, you know, from the pillow that you sleep on to like stress and all of these things. So there's so many other avenues that we're excited to explore, but we really want to create these like tighter knit product catalogs in each of those verticals. I totally hear you on that. I hear it from my girlfriend all the time that I put my hand on the pillow or something else. <laughs> She's always freaking out, like face goes there. Um, so it's an interesting way in terms of all these other areas of applications of skincare other than just the products themselves. We actually worked with a brand called Columbia Beauty that they kind of had snacks in the health bars for specific beauty use cases. So that's super interesting. I totally see that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like too in the beauty space, consumerism is a huge issue in the beauty space of just like buying a ton of products. So, you know, just with the end consumer, we're always told, oh, like you need this product and now you need this product and you need this one. And I feel like a lot of people aren't patient with seeing the results and like sticking to one thing. So that's something that we're also trying to employ through like social and all that stuff is just really like hit the point home that you know, you don't need 30 different products to have great skin. It's like so much more than that. You only need like a few that you use very consistently. And then there's so many other aspects of your life that affect your skin. So for sure, that definitely makes a lot of sense over there. So when you're thinking about like creating new products, and I'm sure, you know, you're in the process of of making some more products right now. What is your feedback loop kind of like to determine, you know, I know you mentioned that, hey, we might not do like different versions of a specific product or things like that. How are you grabbing that market insight? I would love if you could dive in there. 
I mean, the main thing is just listening to our customers. So, you know, a lot of our customers will ask when we're releasing, you know, X product or they really wish that we had a moisturizer. So that's obviously like our first go-to is listening to people who already love our products and then asking them what they want to see next. You know, now we also work really closely with a local formulator who also helps kind of guide us a little bit in where the market is going and like what products would probably best round out our line. So we have some help there now, which is really, really great. That's awesome. I've seen your product before. I think you guys were in Fun, right? One, one time. Yeah, that was a hilarious story because I was still making all the product myself and they reached out to us and wanted... 3,000 units of our face scrub and 2,000 elixirs. And I just said yes. And then (laughs) figured it out. I was literally mixing product for like a month. Mixing and packaging. Was it worth it? It was worth it. It was worth the exposure. It was just fun to like see that we could pull something like that off with. This was again when it was just Jamil and I doing everything. So it was ambitious, but I decided to say yes and then figure it out. (laughs) Figure out all this after. We had to pack everything on multiple pallets in our condo, like, lobby. <laughs> we went up to our concierge. We're like, please, can you help us? Like, <laughs> we allowed to do this. Yeah, so that was pretty pretty interesting, but satisfying, too. That's really cool. And so, yeah, we're talking about product feedback a little bit over here as well. So on that note, on that fun experience, were you able to, like, track any product feedback for there? Or what was the feedback that you kind of got? you know, whether it was like direct feedback or things that you just kind of saw as a result from that experience? Yeah, I mean, so we weren't in their actual main box. We were in their add-on program, which basically just means that subscribers can add different products onto their box for a more affordable price. So we did see like some things on social popping up of people really enjoying the products or like reviews would come in saying, I found you guys through Fun." But yeah, I'm definitely, I'm actually in talks with them of, doing another run with some of the new packaging. So we'll see how that goes. But it was a good experience overall. You know, they didn't provide too many like metrics up front for us to kind of be following along, which I mean, I kind of expected that kind of the name of the game. But so we didn't see a lot of that in like real time. But the products did really well. They sold out pretty quickly in terms of people adding them on. So that was good news. So yeah. Awesome. So one other thing I wanted to ask about, you know, you only have four SKUs right now. I know you're in the process of adding more. Where does a lot of your time and even possibly like capital go in terms of expenses without like constant product creation? So I know currently you're in the process of doing that, but I'm very curious to learn like where you were spending that time and resources while that product creation wasn't going on. Was it in like packaging optimizing your existing products, marketing, or maybe even something else? Yeah, it mainly marketing, honestly, like a lot of digital ads. We were working with a little agency at the time that that was kind of like where most of our energy was, um, was getting that online traffic. We weren't even that, that focused on wholesale. At that time, wholesale opportunities were kind of just coming to us through Instagram and people finding us organically. But yeah, I would say digital ads main investment for sure. Awesome. And you guys obviously launched with, you know, we talked about the four SKUs a little bit. So I have a question for you, you know, as someone that started a brand and you're growing one right now, how do you feel about how many SKUs you need to be able to launch a product? Do you think like your process of less is more? And I'm sure you've talked to other co-founders as well that might be in the beauty space or skincare space as well. 
So I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, because we didn't come from a background specializing in this space, I think there's like two answers to this. I think if you come from a background where you're specialized and you have a lot of capital up front and you're working on your brand for like a year in advance, then it's kind of a little bit of a different story. I feel like you can launch with a pretty solid product line and be confident in that. I think where Jamil and I were coming from, like I said, it was a bit more of a bootstrappy experimental launch. So I think in that case, we had talked to quite a few other people who had done something similar. And one of the main pieces of feedback we got from them was start small because you don't want to be ordering a bunch of stuff up front and then not really knowing what works. So like I said, I kind of considered it like a testing process at the beginning. We only launched with our face scrub at the time. So that was like our hero product. We actually only had that one product for like a year and a half. And yeah, so it was only the one product, which really helped us kind of tell the brand story a little bit more and get recognized for that one product. The fact that it was very bright yellow and influencers at the time really picked up on it. Influencers were kind of a newer thing. So it was easier to approach them. But yeah, I would definitely recommend starting small. You can always add. It's easier to add than take away. Do you think it would have been an operational nightmare to start, say, with five or six cues? Because just like you mentioned, given to your background and all that, there's many parts in the direct-to-consumer brand that kind of have logistics tied up to them, and especially the supply chain and the sourcing and all the six different products to launch or five? Or do you think, you know, it could have been manageable if the resources were there? I mean, if the resources were there, it's definitely more manageable. But in terms of my case, yeah, I'm just thinking about it. It would have been it would have been yeah. really stressful. Also having one product, it allowed us to tweak a lot along the way. It's not like we were coming from a background where we were already very well known and we were launching and everyone was hearing about us right away. Like we had that time to slowly build our customer base, tweak as needed, and then launch more products. I think it definitely feels more manageable and it just makes more sense to me, I think. So when you launched, did you launch with your product already created and kind of like go from there? Or was it you kind of figured out that people were interested in this and then you started to build the product? What kind of happened first there? Yeah, so we actually, we launched with a product already created. We already had kind of in our minds, we had a feeling that this product was going to stick simply because there were a lot of DIY YouTube videos on this particular type of product, but no one was selling it at the time at all. So we kind of saw that there was a an interest there. And that's kind of what catapulted us to choose that product to launch with. But yeah, we definitely had a fully formed product. It was just very, very bootstrapped. It was in a paper bag with labels stuck to it. And that was it. So there was a lot of lot of tweaking along the way. We gave way too much product at the beginning. We gave like this huge bag, <laughs> which was not good for repeat customers. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of learning, but we definitely had our product ready. Just not in its final state, say that. There's a company for men's skincare. I think it's Lumi, something like that. Lumen, I think. Yeah. And they, they sent me a free trial of products and... Um, it's lasted me like a whole year. So I'm like, I'm not sure what kind of free trial this is or if they're even going to get me as a repeat customer, maybe in a year. But like, I still, yeah. it's been a year and I have like half of the thing left. So I totally hear you about. 
No, it's funny. Like at the time we were very kind of enamored with Frank Body. Do you know that brand? Yes. The coffee scrub brand. So we were very like, oh, they do paper bags. That's like, that's going to be very low barrier for us to do. But obviously totally went over our heads. We're like, theirs is a body product. So there's a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> put the product over, whereas ours is a base product. So I screwed up there. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you figure that out? Like in terms of what kind of, even like the size of the package mm-hmm. to send to give away to people and try and get them hooked coming from like a different background. What was that like? I mean, so again, it was literally just us being inspired by other brands, modeling kind of the size that they were giving, but then realizing when we would see people posting about a product that they had ordered months and months ago and being like, I love this product so much. I use it all the time, but their bag was still more than halfway full. Like that's when we realized that this is a problem. It wasn't like they were forgetting about it and then realizing they had it again and using it. They were actually telling us like, we love this product. We're using it all the time. So we had to tweak from there. So you started out with that face scrub. I know that you mentioned that. I know you mentioned that looking it up on YouTube, what other market research did you do to kind of land on that product as being the first one? We actually didn't do much more market research on that. It was that product in particular was actually more tied to Jamil's input and his background. He comes from Bangladesh. His parents are Bengali and they, they use turmeric a lot in skincare. It was also slightly inspired by the Haldi ceremony when he went back to Bangladesh, participated in that. He was very, he had like the best time ever was really interested in how turmeric was used topically. So that's kind of how that, it was, you know, slightly inspired by his cultural background, but also inspired when we, he mentioned this type of product to me. I was looking online because I wanted to buy something with turmeric in it and there was nothing available. So that's kind of when like the light bulb went, we're like, okay, why don't we make something ourselves, see if we love it and then try and share it with other people. Awesome. One other thing we haven't even jumped into really is you've also rebranded as well pretty recently. So I know we've been talking about the hero products. We we really got pretty deep in there. But talking about your rebrand, I'd love to hear, because I'm always curious on this, when a brand decides to do a rebrand, what were kind of like the motivating factors that helped you decide, hey, we're going to go ahead and, and do a rebrand and repackage and all that good stuff? Yeah, I mean, the main catalyst was the fact that we did get new investors, partners. So that allowed us to really finally take a step back and reevaluate everything that we had done up until that point. Like I was mentioning before, because we were so bootstrapped, we were constantly iterating, but kind of more like a Frankenstein kind of situation where we were reacting on the fly, changing things up, but didn't really have time to pause. So it was actually a really blessing in disguise to be able to take, I think it took around like eight months to do this entire process. So it was like pretty intensive, but to be able to pause knowing that, you know, we had that support, that was the main reason. We just wanted to make sure that everything was tight, everything kind of like was cohesive across the board and also just allowed us to grow into those other product verticals that I was mentioning as well. Awesome. So. Talking about that rebrand a little bit more. So you talked about the investors. Where was it kind of driven from? Was walk us through the process. So, you know, you started working with some investors. Maybe you might have worked with an agency. Who was the main catalyst for that to say, hey, maybe you should consider 
even like renaming the company since that's something that you guys did as well. Yeah, so the company was actually renamed a little bit earlier before the investors joined. We were called like Yellow, but it was spelled Y-L-L-O before. So we renamed that actually a little bit before. But yeah, the main catalyst was mainly like I was saying, we just wanted to move away a little bit. Obviously, our brand is still very centered around turmeric, but we didn't want that to be the only kind of buzzword around our brand. We used to always kind of say that we are turmeric-based skincare company, and that's kind of it. We really wanted to broaden that to kind of encompass how we feel about skincare, how we like feel about people's journeys in skincare, all of that kind of stuff. We wanted to kind of broaden that story and allow us to have different content to post about and even just set ourselves up as a bit more of an authority in the space on some of these issues rather than just talking about turmeric all the time. (laughs) So I guess your core messaging also changed as well there, right? Yeah, like I think we still have like, we can obviously continue to build on that as we go. But now the canvas is kind of set up that we have a bit more of a broader approach to everything. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So kind of as we're coming, you know, a little bit towards the end of the podcast, I want to talk about your journey as a founder and what you've kind of learned along the way that you might be able to share to other founders or even marketers out there as well. What are some of the challenges that you have faced? And if there's some things that you've done specifically to overcome those challenges, if you want to share anything that kind of comes to top of mind. I mean, main challenge is always just like the drastic up and downs, like (laughs) being super pumped one day and then being like, what the hell am I doing the other day? So I think everyone who's an entrepreneur can relate to that. I think one of the main things that I've realized like over these past five years is that there's so many people who are willing to help who have like been there before or going through it that even just reaching out to other founders or other people who are like starting a business, there's just so much there that you can relate to and just like bounce ideas off each other. And like everyone's always just so willing to help, even if you think they're like too big for you to talk to. I feel like I'm not obviously where I like want to be yet. But I'm noticing that people are starting to reach out to me who are just starting. And like, I always make time for them because I remember what it was like for me. So yeah, sharing knowledge, I think is like, you don't have to feel like you're alone and isolated. For sure. And there's definitely times as an entrepreneur where it could feel like the odds are are against you or everything is against you. And it's always refreshing to come across people that put out their hand and voluntarily want to help. So that's awesome from you. For sure. So one thing I also want to touch on there that I think would be helpful for the audience, especially since we do have a lot of founders listening in, is talking about pivoting from a brand that might already have some existing equity. So you talked about how you renamed the the brand from like even just the different spelling and just like kind of even changing the core messaging. What would you say to other founders or even marketers who might be doing the same kind of exercise that feel like they can't pivot because of existing brand equity? Right. It's scary to change because you do like the first thing that goes through your head is like, no one's going to remember who I was. I think like as founders, we're always the one who's like the most worried about that. I feel like our customers as long as you're communicating that process, 
just because you change your name, they're not going to like no longer buy from you or whatever. But I think like the biggest thing that I learned throughout this rebrand that was challenging was not so much the change. It was the length of time that it took and the fact that I wasn't prepared necessarily to have like the inventory still available while we were going through this process and kind of like having the inventory available, the old inventory until we launched the new stuff and then having the new stuff. So there was kind of this lag between where like for a couple months, we didn't have any products in stock. That was like the most scary part to me because now I feel like we can't continue that momentum. So I would say like if you are looking to rebrand or change a name, I think that's kind of the biggest lesson that I learned is to make sure that your logistics and like products are still flowing and like your business is still running as much as possible throughout that process. For sure. And then what kind of made the switch there? You said, you know, you've been working on that for like two months. What was the decision that you were like, okay, we're set to go. We can go ahead and flip the switch to the new packaging and the new product. Was it really just inventory? Um, I mean, there was so much that went into this rebrand from like, we had to completely overhaul the website. Um, All the packaging had, had to be redone. The packaging honestly was like the biggest piece, just lead times and everything. So yeah, once we had the product in hand, then we had to do like photo shoots and all of like all set up all of our email campaigns and all that stuff. It was definitely a long process. And the biggest barrier honestly being getting things in our hands, especially during a pandemic when everything was slower. So yeah, as soon as we had the images ready to go and the website was done, it was go time from there. Very cool. All right. I am pretty much out of questions over here. (laughs) Ramon, I'll pass the mic over to you if you have anything else you want to ask Jazz. I don't. I mean, uh, we were talking offline earlier and just want to reemphasize like your design is really good. Content on your website is really good. So your aesthetic, who's the magic behind that? Is it you? Is it your co-founders? Do you guys shoot the content internally? Yeah. I mean, up until this year, it was all me. But this year we were fortunate enough to work with a little boutique agency that helped us kind of finesse the branding a little bit. So that was really fun. It was nice to have like other creative minds in the room, not just me spinning my own wheels over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I definitely played a big part in the like strategic management of that. But yeah, it was fun to hand it off for once. So <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it's a tough thing. I feel like even as someone who does marketing for Trend, you can kind of get in that tunnel vision focus where you kind of think that this is the exact way where things are going to go. So it's nice to have that outside perspective. Yeah. So one thing I'll ask is we're ending this podcast over here is tell us what's next for Yellow Beauty. I know you talked about, you know, some new products on the way. I'd love if you could share with the audience where people can learn more about your brand and connect with you as well. Yeah. So next, definitely more products. We're excited about launching. We have four more products. um, So that'll double our product count, which is exciting in 2021. And then wholesale is also a huge avenue for us that we're excited to start to explore. It's kind of tough during COVID, but we're excited to like continue growing our digital presence, but then dive into wholesale channels as well. You can find us at yellowbeauty.com to shop all our products, or you can follow us on Instagram at yellowbeauty. Awesome. 
Well, Jazz, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I have definitely enjoyed this episode. It was great getting to talk to you about your brand and what you're doing over there and how you've been able to grow your product and your product line. So appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, guys. I want to thank everyone out there listening to the podcast. Thanks for listening to the DTC pod. We appreciate you. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to drop us a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast. And we will see you next time. Thank you.